I have some statements to make in light of the escalating tensions around coronavirus restrictions and church activity. Uh, many of you have heard about Pastor John MacArthur. He's pastor of Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. It's about 15 miles north of Los Angeles proper. He and his church made a decision to lift restrictions on worship activity in their building. For, for, for more than one Sunday, uh, I think at this point multiple Sundays, and they've been hosting services with no face mask requirement and no social distancing enforcement. And they cite three reasons for this. One, they distrust the information shared by public officials and members of the medical community about the severity of the coronavirus. Two, uh, they cite their right to worship under the Constitution. And three, they cite the fact that defiance of the quarantine requirements by social justice protesters was not met with legal force. In other words, they're saying other groups were disregarding the quarantine rules and they were not, uh, they were not reprimanded for that. So subsequent to these acts of civil disobedience by a Grace Community Church, they were sued by uh, Los Angeles County for breaking the law. But the judge, as of yesterday, ruled in favor of Grace Community Church, citing the fact that restricting the freedom of worship is unconstitutional. What the county will do in response to that, I don't know. Uh, the ongoing saga will no doubt be in your newsfeed somewhere. You'll be able to follow that. And I, I don't share these things to speak to the rightness or wrongness of John MacArthur's decision or the county's decision, but rather to speak to what is likely on your mind. <laughs> and that is, what does this mean for us as a church? What should we do? Should we open up our doors to, uh, just like John MacArthur's church, and at least so far, the law has been on their side to do what they have to do. In fact, but the judge did actually say that they were required to socially distance and put on masks, but there were no kind of attendance restrictions there, right? Or should we continue as we have been doing? Well, to respond to that, I'll say this. I want to quote from Jack Hayford when I say this. And I heard this from him directly. He said this to me directly. A, a pastor's job is to lead and feed. Included in the leadership aspect of a pastor is guiding the flock through difficult terrain. Sometimes pastors have to make judgment calls. Sometimes with limited information about which direction to lead the flock. Different pastors make different calls depending on their context, the demographics, their flock the personality types of the leaders, what they sense they hear, they're hearing from God. And in this way, I, I'd like to use a, a sports analogy. You know, if you're familiar with football, you're familiar with, say, fourth down situations. If you're not familiar with football, fourth down is, is, is if you have the ball, it's your last opportunity to score before your opponent gets the ball. And you have to decide whether you're going to try to score on that opportunity or to punt the ball and make it harder for your opponent to score. Right? Some coaches go for it on fourth down. Other coaches don't go for it on fourth down. They're more conservative and they punt, right? It's a judgment call. I'll use a basketball analogy, right? In the last few minutes of the game, uh, two points will tie it, three points will win the game. What do you do as a coach? Do you go for the easy two or do you go for the three and seal the victory? Every coach has a different perspective. They have a different call depending on their context, their players. They're making calls. So I don't want to disparage another pastor's call, right, without knowing the information. I can only speak to what we'll do, right? The issue around corona is incredibly difficult. 
because it's not just a medical issue. It's also political, economic, and even spiritual. So decisions that on the surface are about medicine and physical safety are often convoluted with politics, economics, religion, and even culture. Let me speak to one of the elephants in the room along these lines. There are some who see the coronavirus as a great conspiracy orchestrated by antichrist forces. Hence, they see the quarantine restrictions as direct attacks on our freedom to worship. That, In other words, this is not just about safety for them. It is like they are using this to limit the church, to hinder the church from doing its spiritual duty. Second, they see the prospect of a vaccine as a precursor to the mark of the beast. And they see Bill Gates, who has emerged as the billionaire spokesperson for coronavirus, as an Illuminati representative of the Antichrist himself. I have to bring these things up because these things are part of our conversation, part of people's conversations. They're thinking about these things. So you might ask, is any of this true? Frankly, I don't know. You're getting your information from the same Internet I have. Who knows? But I will tell you this, to make decisions, I have to go with what I do know. One, I'm not a medical professional, a scientist, or a statistician. I'm in no place to tell people to ignore corona restrictions. That would be irresponsible because I am not in a place where I can do that. If you don't believe the medical professionals, that's your decision. But because I'm not a medical professional and I don't have an independent source of verifying this information, I'm in no place to do that personally. Unless the Holy Spirit told me otherwise, which he hasn't, on what basis would I challenge what a doctor is saying? Think about it. People from the Internet are saying ignore doctors and other health professionals. But you have to ask, what are their credentials? What are the credentials of the people on the Internet? The same questions you ask about the doctors, you have to ask about the people on the Internet. Now look. I'm not saying this to criticize pastors who are making decisions different from mine. Who they may, Maybe they have information I don't have. Maybe the Holy Spirit has said something to them that he has not said to me. But I pray just like they pray. And the Lord has not told me to open these doors or to tell you to ignore healthcare professionals. That's up to you. When I receive new information and or uh, for, or, or new insights from the Holy Spirit, uh, maybe I'll change my position, but until then, this is where we are. Now, to the credit of the people who are saying that coronavirus is a conspiracy for Antichrist world domination, the Bible does tell us that these kinds of things will happen. The Scripture tells us, one, that an Antichrist will emerge. That's going to happen, and it's very possible that we're in the process of that emerging over the next several decades. Who knows? The Bible does tell us that a global governmental force will oppress Christians. We know that's going to happen. It could be in the process of happening now, possibly. And we know that there will be a mark of the beast. So when you see things, as I've been talking about, when you see these changes in the world, it's to signal you that, yes, 
we may be at the beginning of the end. And when you see, especially with the handling of the coronavirus, how it's been handled, there's been inconsistencies. There are reasons to be suspicious. There are reasons to question. There are reasons to wonder. So people who have a different position than I have, they're not necessarily crazy. They're watching. They're seeing these things. So it's fair to speculate and say, look, we need to do something about this. Let me also add this. For the sake of argument, let's say this. What if we are being deceived? What if right now there is some conspiracy that is currently convincing the church to not open its doors and to wear the mask and to, and to stop the things we're supposed to do? For the sake of argument, let's just say that, that this is happening right now. How will we respond to this? Well, as I've said before, I go to what I know. Let's go to Scripture. Go with me, and this is not in your notes, but we will show it on the screen here. Matthew 13, 24 through 30. It is a parable that Jesus gives about wheat and tares. Read with me here. Verse 24, it says this. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven will may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Okay, so, so just, so the parable of the kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who sows good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his servants were sleeping, right? An enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and then left. Verse 26. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. So as you saw the wheat, the wheat beginning to grow, you also saw the weeds. You know, th this version says weeds. Some versions of the Bible say tares. It's the same thing here, right? So you have the, you have the weeds mixed up with your wheat. At verse 27, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Right? They know their master didn't do this. Right? We sow good seed. Where did the bad seeds come? Where did the weeds come from? In verse 28, here's what the master said. He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, this is what the servants say, right? Then do you want us to go and gather them? In other words, the servants are asking, here are the weeds in your field. An enemy did this. Do you want to go have us go pluck them up? What does the owner of the field say? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Verse 30. He says this. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers. I will tell the reapers. I will tell the reapers. Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this story is classic Jesus. He communicated to the masses of people in stories or parables, but you then had to find out what the parable meant. So if we go to Matthew 13, 36 through 43, Jesus explains the meaning of the parable. And as we explain the parable, we'll get into our response to the changing dynamic of corona and restrictions on worship, right? 
So look at this here. Matthew 13, 36 through 43. It says this. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. Right? And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Jesus, what does this mean? Verse 37, he answered Jesus' test. He says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So Jesus is the one sowing the seed. Right? Verse 38, the field is the world. The field represents the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Right? So here you have Jesus. He has his field. He's sowing the seeds. We're born again in him, right? And so he sows good seeds, and we should come up as children of God. He said, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. So you have, you have sons of, of God, and you have sons of the devil growing in the same field. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of this kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 43, then the righteous shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. Okay? So look at this. The good seed represents the people of God. The bad seed represents the, 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 peop, the children of the evil one. But what does Jesus say? He says, let them grow together. The inclination is, you see the bad things and you want to root them up. But in this instance, Jesus is saying, no. I'm going to take care of them myself. Why? Because he says, if you try to handle it with your limited understanding in uprooting the good, the bad seed, you're going to uproot the good seed. Okay? God is not rushing to get rid of the wicked. <laughs> He's saying, let this play out. There is a time to see evil but not take steps to uproot it because you'll be doing more harm than good. In an attempt to stop evil people, you could be hurting good people because why? You're operating out of limited perspective. And so Jesus says, wait until the end. I will send my angels to take care of the wicked people. But in the meantime, let them do their dirt. I see them. I know what's going on. I'm not duped. I got you. I'm going to take care of you. Let me handle it. I'm going to take you to another passage of Scripture that says something very similar. Okay? And is also a guide for me as I look at what's around me. And I do see things like many people that look suspicious to me. That I do see things I hear from the media and from public officials that I don't entirely trust. Like many of you. But here's what I go to the Psalm 37. I, you should read the whole Psalm. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 13. What does it say? It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. He says, don't worry. When you see evildoers doers doing evil things. He says, be not envious of wrongdoers. Verse 2. For he, what does he say? He says, but they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. You know what that means? 
I don't know if Bill Gates is working, working for the Illuminati and working for the Antichrist. I don't know. But if he is, it's going to fail. <laughs> if he is, it's going to fail. I'm not worried about him. God's got him. What does God tell us to do? Verse 3, trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. In other words, in the meantime, while we're going through this experience, be faithful to the Lord. Trust the Lord. Verse 4, what does it say? Delight. Don't be angry. Delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. So even in the midst of a pandemic, even in quarantine, you can find joy in Jesus. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, even while it looks like the wicked are prospering. Even while it looks like they're reigning on our parade, he will give us the desires of our heart. Why? If we trust him and not look at what our eyes are seeing, even if we know evil is taking place, we're going to let God handle that while we delight in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. As I told you, we've been talking about Many people want to go back to their normal, but we're not ready to go back to God's normal. We got to commit our ways to the Lord so we can submit our bodies to God's normal. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Verse 6, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Verse 7, and this is huge. What does he say? Be still. Be still. Calm down. Relax. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. As I told you, folks, I'm not rushing to do something God didn't tell me to do. I'm waiting patiently for instructions from him. I see evil just like you see evil. I see suspicious things just like you do, but I'm waiting patiently for the Lord. I'm not criticizing pastors who made another decision. They got to do what God tells them to do. I don't have their information. I just know what God tells me to do. Be still before the Lord, verse 7, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Don't worry about that. But it looks like the wrong people are being successful. God said, don't worry about that. Or over the man who carries out evil devices. Like I said, you think Bill, you believe Bill Gates is the, is the, is the evil one? If, if he is, it's going to fail. God said, don't worry about that. Let him do what he's going to do, if, if that's even true, right? Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. You're getting all riled up over things that aren't your business to be affecting. you got to leave some things to God. That's what the owner of the field is saying. He's saying, it's my field. Let the reapers handle that. Servants, relax. Verse 9, because what do we know? What is the promise of the Lord? He says, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait, those who wait, those who wait, those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. And just, look at how the, the, the Bible speaks here in verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. 
Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I love verse 12. What does it say? The wicked plot against the righteous. <laughs> so, like some of you are saying, well, what if they're plotting something right now? What if they're deceiving us right now? Verse 12, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But verse 13, what's happening? But the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. So what's God's response to the conspiracy? He's laughing. Because he knows it doesn't stand a chance, whatever it is, whoever it is. We should be laughing with God. Because he says, because we know that in him we win. Even if Antichrist forces are actively plotting against us right now, they're not going to win. Read your Bible. The victory is ours in Christ Jesus. So if you're not afraid of corona and don't want to wear your mask, great. You're not afraid of corona, I'm not afraid of Bill Gates. Okay? We're going to be all right. To be honest with you, I'm actually more concerned. Listen, we're concerned about a church that's inconvenient. I'm more concerned about a church that's too comfortable. Generally speaking, if you look at biblical history and you look at secular history, the church is much more fruitful when it's persecuted. The church bears more spiritual fruit when we're uncomfortable than when we're comfortable. And to illustrate this, I'm going to quote some things from a book called The Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch. I'm going to be referencing pages 18 through 20. In the book called The Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch. And I'm going to say some things that he talked about in his book. You should read it. He talks about the first century church. And he also talks about the persecuted church in China, which I won't talk as much about today, but probably in my next sermon I will. But, but I want to talk about some attributes of the early church from about 100 A.D. to 310 A.D. So roughly 200 years, there's a time period in which the church was persecuted heavily. The early church, and this is before they had broken ground, right? So in about A.D. 100, there was about 25,000 Christians. In the world, which isn't that many compared to today. But look what was going on. I'm quoting from the book, but this is also true. It says this. They were an illegal religion throughout this period. Illegal. Christianity was illegal. The early church, 100 AD. Right? There was no constitution. There was no fight for the rights. There was no... There was no such thing as America and Bill of Rights. And there was nothing like that that existed. If you, if, you, if, you, if you had something bad to say about the government, they were going to take you out, and they could do it legally, and they could do it with force. There was nothing to stop them. What was the other thing? They didn't have any church buildings as we know them today. We are, we are, we are, some people losing their minds over a church building. The early church didn't have these buildings. They didn't have them. They didn't have them. If you think the early church could see us today, what do you think they would think? They didn't have these big buildings. What else? They didn't even have the scriptures as we know them. They were still compiling the Bible we have today. 
What else is true about them? They didn't have an institution or the professional form of leadership normally associated with it. They didn't have the kind of like staff people and all the things that the auxiliaries we have to accommodate you, to make you, to, so that you could have a Nordstrom's experience on Sunday. All them folks that help you make, make you feel comfortable with these nice cushioned seats and these children's ministry programs and youth ministry and all these other kind of things. They didn't have that. They didn't have seeker-sensitive services, youth groups, worship bands, seminaries, commentaries. They didn't have these Bible study things. They didn't have online resources. None of that stuff. What else? They actually made it hard to join the church. They actually interviewed you to see if you really want to roll with them. Jesus did the same thing. If you look in the gospel, Jesus says, count the cost before you follow me. Nobody goes to war unless they know they have enough to fight the war. No one builds a building unless they know they have enough to build the building. You better, you better think about it before you follow me. Jesus said that. But we make it too easy for people to be a Christian. They, they don't experience. You know, people around the world today are persecuted for their faith as a Christian. And if they become a Christian, they risk losing their families. They risk losing their lives. What does it cost you to serve the Lord? Let's continue. They had none of the things we would normally, ordinarily employ to solve the problems of the church. And yet they grew from 25,000 people to 20 million people in 200 years. From 25,000 to 20 million. And we're complaining that we can't come to our building. Woe is us. How are we, how we going to be spiritual, Jesus? Now, I'm going to save my other example for next time I preach. I want to talk about the church in China. You know, it's funny because, you know, one of the fears of many people who are suspicious about corona is this idea that somehow our country is going to become more socialist and it's going to become like a communist country and then they're going to stamp out the church. But guess what? That's what happened in China, and the church grew under that persecution. They're more serious about their faith than we are. So I'm not concerned about the church's comfort. Rather, I'm saying, Lord, if it requires us to be inconvenienced, so that we will be serious about discipleship and evangelism and prayer and worship, then so be it. The early Christians were willing to die for Jesus. Every single apostle was martyred except for John. Every single one of them. In fact, if you look in the Bible, God tells Peter, this is how you're going to die. The, the, the historical record tells us that Peter also died on the cross, but he told his, the people who were killing him, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord, so turn me upside down. If I'm going to die on the cross, I'm going to die upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. But all these apostles, except for John, they were all martyred. They all died for their faith. It makes me wonder, 
We wonder, why is God allowing this quarantine? It makes me wonder, was the church doing anything significant enough to matter for the kingdom? Maybe that's why it's so easy for God to allow this to be shut down. Because what were we doing compared to the early church that has kingdom significance? Yeah, we have, we've got mega churches and large buildings. I'm not against mega churches. We're trying to grow our church. That's fine. I'm not against numbers of people. But there's too many churches that have large numbers of people but saddle Christians. People who are rocked if persecution or tribulation or trials come. We read it last week about the parable of the sower. There are certain people who only endure for a little bit of time. But when trials come and tribulations come, they lose their mind. They can't handle it because their roots aren't in Christ. Their roots are actually in an experience. They're not getting their Nordstrom experience at church. So they're freaking out. God never promised us uh, comfort and convenience. He says, if you follow me, he says, you gotta, I got to be more important than your mama, than your daddy, than your brother, than your sister. You got to deny yourself. Wow, it looks like I didn't even get to my notes. I'm going to have to save that for another time. But that's all right. I was just compelled to share what I shared this morning. Folks, let me be honest with you. We've read the scriptures. It's going to get worse than this if the scriptures are true. If the scripture is true, it's going to be worse than this. But if the scripture is true, it's also going to be better than this. Why? Because when the devil hits us with his best shot, the church will thrive. The church will thrive. So I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I'm not afraid of Corona. I'm not afraid of Bill Gates. I'm not afraid of the Antichrist. I'm not afraid of a one world government because I know that I'm in God's hand. But here's the question. Do you know that? Do you know that you are in God's hands? That's the only way you're going to have peace. You've got to know you with God. It's not your job to protect the church. God is already protecting his church. Your job is to make sure that you are rooted in Christ. Because then whatever happens, the world can come back, can go back and forth. But you're rooted. You're rooted. You're not moving. We've been reading in Matthew 24, it says, the one who endures to the end, the one who endures to the end, they will be saved. It's about endurance, and you can't have endurance if you are not rooted in Christ. You got to know God for yourself. You got to know God for yourself. You got to have your own prayer life. (laughs) You got to get in that word. You've got more available to you than the early church. So we have no excuses. If you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life today, if there was ever a time to do it, it's now, folks. It's now. I don't know what you're into, but it, 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 it's, you know, we're all, 
What can I say? You hear all this language today. You have noble people trying to make the world a better place. The world they're trying to make better is going to pass away. It's coming to an end. And we might be at the beginning of that end. So it's great. Let's, let's make the most of it. But we know that the lawnmower is coming, as we talked about. The, the Isaiah and, and also uh, John, John the, uh, John the Baptist says, all flesh is grass. That is, it's temporary. It comes up and then it's cut. The lawnmower is coming. So don't build your real estate on a blade of grass. We need to come to Jesus and put our roots in him because he is a king of a kingdom that shall not be shaken.